Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I can't tell you how excited I am to have my friend Richard Murray with me. And he, I don't think he knows this yet. So this is just a little bit of somewhat of a surprise to him. First of all, I'll say hello, Richard, and thanks for being with us. Hey, Paul, it's great to be with you. I love you. You too. You too. I've been doing these podcasts for a little over three years now. The number of this podcast will be number 323. Three years ago, almost to this week, I did podcast number 22 with Richard. He was one of the very first, and he was the first one that I said when we finished, hey, do you have time? I think we got enough to talk some more and do two podcasts. So Richard was the first person that I asked to extend and do two podcasts with. But even more so than that, a couple of years ago, or a year and a half or so or so, I was listening to Richard and his friends, uh, Bill Thrasher and Mike Zinker, do an interview, the three of them. And they were talking about this global tsunami of people coming into the awareness of God's unconditional love and pure grace and inclusion. And they said some things that said, man, wouldn't it be something if we had a way to connect lots of different people around the world who were seeing this message? And I thought when I heard that, you know, maybe I could do a book and re-interview and write in my book about the 85 people or so that I've interviewed to do podcasts and then get that book out with the idea of doing a couple of pages on each person and then putting all of their contact information and books they've written and Patreon pages and stuff like that to help people connect with them. So that's why we're here now. Richard, you you and Bill and Mike were the genesis for this idea. So thank you. Wow. I had no idea. That is a surprise, Paul. Thank you. I yeah. honored, honored that it uh, you know, I love those two guys. We just enjoy each other and we, you know, we continue to, to talk and share. And uh I really trust those guys deep, deep down. And uh this the sparks go off when we get together. Well, they do seem to, and I'd love to hear the three of you together. And of course, I'm re-interviewing them as well, too. But the title of my new book that's coming out about the time this podcast will come out is called Grace to All, same as the podcast. And as I mentioned, I, I'm doing a couple of pages on each person telling uh, a little bit about the interview that we had and, and what each one of you all do and how you present your message and then listing the books and podcasts and things that you guys have with the hope of people who get this book, being able to resonate. It's hard for me to realize, but not everybody resonates with an old jazz musician who's in the Kansas, you know, <laughs> but they might resonate with a young attorney who's in Dalton, Georgia, or with many other people too. So that that's the concept behind the book. And then in between uh, each one of those things with a couple of pages on each person, and I, I do a little devotional thing to help people along each day. But 
I'm excited about that concept. I appreciate you giving me the genesis for it. And I just want to let people know again, what are you up to? I know what you're up to is you're in court uh, most days on the good side of the law. You're, you're not there uh, answering summons for your own warrant. But when people read about you in this new book and they think, well, I, I'm going to check him out. I've never heard of him or seen him. What are they going to find? What's your goal in the things that you do? Well, I'm not really a goal thinker. I used to be, but I just have a passion for God's nature, being true to God's nature. And I've always been led by just a simple phrase that God is good, always good and only good. And that anything else we have been indoctrinated that rebuts that, well, we need to get rid of. You know, somebody was asking me today, what are the gates of hell? And they said, is it a metaphor? What does it stand for? And I just kind of went off the cuff. But anything that tries to keep us from entering into God's goodness, anything that tries to block or obstruct our true view of God's nature, I think that this whole thing that we're struggling with as a humanity is that we don't have the right view of God. I mean, it's just that simple. And the thing that will unify us is if we truly see if we have a commonality of vision about how good God is and that how he operates and how our freedom operates, perhaps to uh, our misuse of freedom operates to obstruct knowing God in clear and fresher ways. So, you know, I just refuse to accept any negative statement about God because anything that's messed up is on our side of the equation. And I I don't mean individually, I mean more corporately. I think there's more to... uh, just as the first Adam is sort of the fractured humanity, the second Adam is the healed humanity. And that's where we want to get to. But it's a healing of vision. It's a healing of perspective. It's a healing of insight. It's a healing of belief. You know, Tozer, I say this on, on our website, but yeah, Tozer, A.W. Tozer believed that we, by a secret law of the soul, we all grow to resemble our image of God. Mm. And so uh, if we have a worthy image of God, we're going to grow toward that. If we have a bipolar image where God is both good and evil, both wrathful and loving, both vengeful, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. But if we purge the duality, you know, the inner duality of God, that he's this, yes, but well, what about this? Yes, he's this, but what about this? Which leaves us stuck in the rut. And then we don't really have a God unknowable. And he can do anything across the spectrum. He can smite us one day, you know, kiss us the next day. And how on earth can we get to know a father that acts that way? So anyway, that's a a long answer to a short question, but just unveiling the true nature of God. Yeah, that's good. I found you don't want to, at least I didn't want to get to know a God that was like that. And, And for sure, I could never trust a God like that. I mean, is he going to like me today or not? You know, (laughs) that's not a good way to live. And uh, I like your phrase. It's just that simple. I was thinking while you were talking, Richard, the proof really is in the pudding. And uh, I'll just say that most all the people that I have interviewed, and I'm thinking right now of you and Mike and Bill, but almost all the others, there's just a joy and a uh, freedom and a winsomeness, uh, just a happy, just a I don't have the right words for it. You probably do. But there's a difference. There's certainly a difference 
in religious scenarios like I used to be in. But there's a difference about people who are coming to get away from duality, who believe that God is good, always good and only good, and know that he's for us, don't see him in any kind of a negative way. I'm kind of dieseling here because I don't have the right words to put in it, but you can see it. And what it is, the winsomeness is we're not waiting for the hammer to fall. People who live under the threat of the law, they're flinching. There's like a flinch response. And that's why they can never really have that complete joy because they're there. They just think any moment something can happen. Well, we never know. The Lord's ways are beyond us. You know, the high, his ways are higher than us. Well, I always tell people his ways are higher in a better sense, not in a brutal sense. If I had to say there's one passage that I just camp out on, I plant my flag in. It's John the Beloved. In First uh, John one five, this was his version of the gospel. Paul had his version of the gospel. Peter had his version. This was John's version. This then is the message which we have heard from him from the beginning: that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. At all, yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. mean, that's the gospel. When have you heard the gospel? That's uh, he he summarized the gospel. <laughs> this then is the message which we have heard and received from him from the beginning that God is light and in him is no darkness. You don't hear the gospel presented in that way a lot. And yet John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm not yeah. saying his version is any better than Paul's version or the others, but it's my personal favorite. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I, that's the kind of gospel I want to share with people. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Cause I think we remove the flinch response. I've heard it called the or else. You know, God gives us a promise. It's just our fractured thinking that will say, or else God is light. Love your neighbor or else, you know, yeah. a, threat, a threat to it where yeah. instead of seeing the gospel as a promise. And it's a promise that this God loves us and doesn't want to harm us and wants to rescue us from whatever situations we're in and to renew our thinking and to say he's, he's my hero. That's a heroic yeah. Really, yes, what uh, uh, you know, my goal is, I guess it would be to present a heroic image of God. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. And gosh, you can see over my shoulder here the Pure Light Walker logo. The course that I developed is totally based on First John 1, 5. And there are different versions of that that are all good. Uh, I can't remember if this is the passion or the mirror, but one of them, John says, this is the essence of the message that we heard from him. I mean, he's just netting it out. Look, I spent three and a half years with him, and then he's been in me for 60 years since then. You know, this is it. This nets it out. There is no darkness at all. Good news. I mean, that's good oh, news. You know, the whole gospel is supposed to be good news, not good threats, not good hostility, you know, or else, or not good hammer dropping, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. I have a good friend that I have coffee with every Monday morning. Both our last names are Gray, and we jokingly tell people that we're twin brothers by a different mother. Uh, he's six foot five and weighs three times what I do. And he's a little younger than me, but he was an all-state football and basketball player and played in college. And he was telling me the other day that in high school, now, now this would have been 40 years ago, but when he was in high school, referees, there weren't as many. There were only two then as three now, and they didn't catch everything. And he said one of the things that he would do when he was playing a guy that was four or five inches taller than him, he'd make sure the refs weren't looking, and he'd headbutt this guy. And he said every time after that that he was guarding the guy and the guy started to shoot, 
he'd flinch. He said, I'd get close to him and just kind of go like that. And they'd flinch. And most often they'd miss the shot. And when you were, you were talking about the flinching thing, I thought, yeah, I, my friend knows that firsthand. And it's true. And then, <laughs> well, you know, I, I did a bit of boxing in college and I was not a good boxer because I had a flinch response. When somebody swung my way, instead of ducking, I flinched. You know, you close your eyes. It's very difficult. You don't know until actually someone swings at you, whether you have the presence of mind to stay awake and move, bob and weave. You, you got to train yourself not to flinch because flinching, you close your eyes and then you get hit. <laughs> <laughs> that makes for a short career, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, you know, I like the idea of not flinching at the goodness of God. You know, because uh, the law would have you flinch at it. And then when you flinch at it, that's when you lose sight of it. And when uh, you can let fear and insecurity and all come in. But to know that there's a God that we don't have to be scared of, that's worthy of our awe, that's worthy of our constancy. That's the biggest difference. I used to live, you know, if I stepped off the path, I would be so concerned, you know, that I lost my salvation or that I, you know, I was lost and all this. And even in the midst of all the turmoil I've gone through, he's always with me. And I know he's always with me. And he course corrects me. I maybe not immediately because I'm not willing to listen, but I've never sensed him not being near me. I've sensed him just kind of, uh, he's not wasting words. He's waiting until I'm ready to listen, but I, his presence is near me. And whatever I feel from him, it's never condemnation. Never. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like a dad who says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving yeah. you. Drive yeah. me away if you wanted to. Yeah, I have occasionally, I would guess maybe you do too, people will say to me, well, Paul, you, you talk about hearing from God, and I just don't hear from God. And there can be a, a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons sometimes that people don't hear from God is because they're afraid what they're going to hear is going to be condemnation. And I'm not sure I want to hear from a bipolar God that's going to tell me how bad I am. And the flinching comes from fear. But perfect love casts that out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we set our eyes, we set our faces, our eyes like flint, you know, to yeah. behold. Him. And as we behold him, we are transformed into the same image, glory to glory. Yeah. You know, I posted something the other day about how sometimes you, you see a phrase and You've always interpreted it one way, but then the Lord will give you an epiphany. But uh, I was thinking of this beauty in the eye of the beholder. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I used to always think, well, that just means different people will have different opinions about what's beautiful and what's not. But I got zapped one day with the realization that, no, that means we have the ability to beautify anything and everything. That beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in what we project onto what we're viewing. And as we're tuned into the Lord, you know, who sees the good and the light in everything, then we can actually project healing images, you know, on the world and not panic and not cringe. Now, I know that everyone's got tough circumstances, but at the same time, we also have the ability to alter. You know, you hear some of this in quantum physics, but I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about the ability of of a sanctified imagination and a sanctified faith to just speak forth and prophesy, to name. You know, Adam's power was he had the power to name animals. And we have the power to name. You know, we have the power to to perceive God's beauty and to project God's beauty into every encounter that we have and to drive away the fear, you know, to drive away the insecurity. 
I think that's magnificent. And how much more power do we have even what we're doing now? You know, two yeah. puts a hundred fly. You know, one one puts a what is it? One puts a hundred, two puts a thousand, whatever it is. But I mean it's, it's but it's, what are we putting to fly? We're putting fear itself to fly. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, I think when Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than I did, I think in part what he meant is today, right now, because of the Internet, we're able to reach exponentially more people than he could in one place at one time. And uh, it, it meant it's an exciting time to be alive. And, you know, just because of that, I've got this piece of paper in my hand that's that exact thing that you wrote that you were talking about, about perception. And you ended up with what a difference a beautiful perception makes. And that's one of the things I was going to uh, ask you to summarize what you wrote. And, and you went ahead and did it without me asking you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said earlier about people wanting to hear the voice of the Lord. And one thing I feel about that is, you know, one of our hindrances is the idolatry of language. We have this view that God thus saith the Lord, and then he puts it in 10 words or puts it in, and we have to get meticulous. You can't move a the, you know, you, it's got to be the exact quote from the Bible or the exact what saith the, all this King Jamesian stuff. And I really got set free from that because I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, I know I've shared it on Facebook because I used to have a to have a verse for everything. You know, if I was going to claim anything, I had a you know I quote five or six verses from it, and and I dare not change a word in the verse. But one day I got set free when the, just the Lord unveiled for me this idea that if I were being honest with how I first communicate with the Lord, it's never or seldom I would say never really I never hear language. Immediately, I sense an impulse. I sense a divine impulse that's in, in my gut, maybe flowing up through my heart into my mind. And I can attach words to it in the wake of it, but it's not the words. And I've said this before, but God is slumming when he uses human language. He speaks at a higher level than that. I found somebody, I believe somebody who Calvin killed, John Calvin, <laughs> who used the same word, divine impulse to say that that's how we communicate with the Lord. And I think if people would start trusting these impulses, these promptings, you know, you may not, it's not a language. It's more of a sensation. It's more of an insight. It's more of a flash. Kind of let them coalesce in our minds and in our hearts. And then we do our, the best that we can to put words to it. But even that's going to be limited. Where sure. and, and that's the same place with the writers of the Bible. They were all getting divine impulses. But some of them yeah. spoke, some of them were more expressive and more articulate than others and more accurate. I know that I've been inaccurate sometimes with the impulses. When I got through with it and I tried to say something, that's not, you know, but I don't beat myself up for it. I just say, I think it's like when I saw about tennis and I read this thing once about how you could overgrip the tennis racket. And when you overgrip the tennis racket, you lose speed, you lose power, you lose mm. whip you know, kind of whiplash strength in the thing because you're mm -hmm. overgripping. And I think we can overgrip human language. And when we overgrip it, it paralyzes. We're not really getting the spiritual out of it. You know, some people say when, it used to be the case that I wouldn't deviate from what the scripture said. I mean, I had to have every it, the words exactly. But now I'm more interested in paraphrasing. They used to always tell us in school that you don't really, and in law school too, you don't really understand a concept until you paraphrase. Oh, really? And all these things, you know, back in the Aramaic, you know, the uh, Ara some of the Aramaic translations of the Bible are, are targums. 
which are paraphrases of the Bible, you know, paraphrases of it. So they considered it, you know, well, let's hear your paraphrase. You know, let's hear your paraphrase. Which paraphrase honors the Lord, you know, captures the spirit more? Whereas we don't move. We don't move in paraphrase. We're scared to paraphrase because we're not confident that God could speak to me like he could to Paul and maybe even show me for this day and time a better way to say what Paul was trying to say for our generation. When we lose this fear of language, we're really set free. And I know I can already hear, you know, somebody say, yes, but what if everyone just has their way and speaks, you know, anything they want to speak? Well, you know what? We got the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And he's there and you bear witness. You don't have to believe because I say it. Your spirit bears witness with what I'm saying or it doesn't. And it's not like we have to come up with a perfect way to say it. We could say it a different way tomorrow. You know, depending on the mood and the ambiance and everything that's going on. But the Holy Spirit is so dynamic. We need to have more trust in the Holy Spirit. You know, he's not looking to slam us and headbutt us. He's not looking to headbutt us. He's looking, you know, he's looking to kiss us on on the forehead. He's not looking to headbutt it. And uh, you know what? I I think sometimes when I try hard to say something, I can almost hear the Spirit saying, "Uh, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> you know, I don't feel any condemnation by it. And every day, every conversation is a new opportunity. And we just need to, you know, get rid of this fear, this, this penal fear that we're going to yeah. be punished. It's really what makes religion rot, that type of mentality. And um, to eliminate, like you said earlier, perfect love cast out fear. Well, you know what? Let's get to it. Let's get to casting <laughs> yeah. it. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to let it rule us and operate to diminish and to uh, put a bushel over our life because we're so scared that, you know, our life's going to just be blown out. (laughs) You know, we make a mistake. Yeah. And this may be way oversimplification, but if God doesn't keep any list of wrongs, which he says he doesn't, what is there to fear? That's a whole another subject, but there, you know, there's some, you know, he chooses not to remember our sins, not to bring them up again as far as the East is from the West. He, God the Father was in Jesus at the cross, reconciling the entire cosmos to himself, not holding any sins against us. What is there to fear and, and what is there to worry about? What is the verse in John? You know, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I, that's one of my go-tos. Anytime I yeah. start condemning myself, God is greater than my heart, than my self-condemning heart. One time, I just could not receive forgiveness over something that I had done, and it just tormented me. And uh, one day, the Lord spoke to me through impulses that came out in language, but he basically told me, Richard, what you're seeking is the devil's forgiveness. The devil never gives his forgiveness. He will keep pulling you over and over, back and forth across these rocks. But my forgiveness, I, I forgave you long ago. When you prayed to me for forgiveness, you were forgiven then. But you haven't been seeking my forgiveness because if you had sought it, you would have already received it and known you received it. But you've been seeking the devil's forgiveness, thinking he was me. It's not like I was actually addressing Satan, but it was like my view of God was more like Satan, who as the accuser, that God was my accuser. You know, Jesus is our advocate. Satan is the accuser. Jesus is our advocate. I know some people don't like that, but, you know, it is what it is. And As a defense attorney, I can sit here and tell you when I'm in the courtroom, you know, I may have some prosecutors, fellow lawyers out there who may not like what I'm about to say, but I would hate to live my life thinking about how to just prosecute people, how to accuse them. And I've seen some of them kind of grow so hard hearted that they can't, 
they're looking. They're, they're so habitual about their condemning, and they think that they can't make mistakes. And, and I, I had a Christian prosecutor ask me one time, Richard, as a Christian, how can you defend someone who might be guilty? And I said, well, as a Christian, how can you prosecute someone that might be innocent? He said, oh, we don't do that. Oh, oh really? Oh, wow. <laughs> you don't do that. Never? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I mean, the whole point of it is accusation is ugly. It is. Oh. And I understand that in this earth age, the government has it. Yeah, I'm not saying that somebody doesn't need to do it, you know, to keep protect citizens. I'm just saying it's not spiritual and it deforms us yeah. when we having to accuse others. It does. I've been uh, taking notes. <laughs> I've got so many different things that I'd like to uh, address here. What you just finished saying that last go around was, well, amazing. What I need to do, though, because our time's up, I need to bring this to a close. We'll come back and do another edition, if that's all right with you. Sounds good. I got so many things there that I want to have you talk a little more about. Before we finish, especially keeping in line with the purpose of, of my new book, Grace to All, if somebody reads about you in this book and they think, oh, well, you know, my dad was an attorney or my, I'm an attorney or my son's an attorney or I've been in court a lot or whatever. Maybe I can relate to this guy. How can they find you? How can they connect with you? Well, mainly through Facebook. I'm about at 5,000 friends, but I think you can continue to follow even if I'm not able to accept friend requests. So that's one way. We have a website called thegoodnessofgod.com, thegoodnessofgod.com. And I have uh, 20 hours of teaching on that that you can stream. And it's very helpful. It answers all the tough questions. I mean, <laughs> I think most all of them. We go from Ananias and Sapphira to Herod, the book of Revelation, to the wrath of God, to the Old Testament God. We talk about everything in there. And I, Paul, I would just say that, that, well, maybe we can talk more about that maybe in the next session, but I don't claim to have precise answers on everything, but I think that I can give you enough answers to hang a hope on, you know, on these tough passages and understand why the passages are there to begin with and, and that it's not really God's doing that they're in there. It's our inability to understand, but him meeting us where we're at and then trying to lead us out of Egypt, out of the Egypt of slavery and out of slavish thinking and unworthy thinking into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. So that website is good. And I, I've got free, uh, some free books on there. There are also some for sale on there, but I'm so far behind in paying my uh, dues to my publisher. I don't ever get paid for anything. <laughs> I don't even know how many. He says I got some royalties too, but uh, I've got to pay early fee and I haven't paid it. I will. I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that would be the best way to get hold of me. All right, thegoodnessofgod.com. I'll put that in the show notes. We'll talk about that some more next time. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to uh, another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray, with my friend Richard Murray. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle. <laughs>